we need to think about what is actually GPT-4 and ChatGPT and, and all of this stuff. What is it really? Before we start talking about all the exciting use cases. Dear listeners of The Laundry, welcome back to another episode. A couple of weeks ago, we did an episode where we had ChatGPT as our guest and we received so much positive feedback. So today we wanted to dig deeper into this topic and to do so, we have invited some of our own. So our CTO and co-founder of Strice, Patrick, is joining us today to dig into this topic. Welcome so much, Patrick. Yeah, it's uh, nice to finally be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, and for the listeners, the podcast studio is right by where everyone on tech sits. So it's good to kind of get this uh, merging now of tech (laughs) going on to the podcast. But why don't we start with you just giving our listeners, if they haven't like gone into the space yet, what is going on with ChatGPT and the generative AI? Astrois, we've been doing AI since... Well, all the way back here since uh, 2016, when it was a different world, we didn't have any ChatGPT back then, but we did have a lot of the research that ChatGPT is built on. That's kind of, I guess, one of the first thing you need to remember is that there is nothing really that revolutionary about ChatGPT today. It's just that we have given uh, the research behind generative AI and so on that... Uh, that I think came uh, came to fruition in 2017. We've just given it more data and uh, been fine-tuning on top of that. So we were using GPT-2 all the way back in 2018 with BERT, I believe, uh, which was Google's kind of take on generative AI and how you can use uh, large language models to do sophisticated tasks. So... But it, but it didn't really work back then because uh, the models weren't really sophisticated enough and you had to well spend a lot of resources into making them do the things you wanted to do. But now with the, the easiness of making this available in, in such a simple web interface that ChatGPT and OpenAI have done has really opened the minds for so many people and so they can really see the value that you actually can use this for. And there's been so many different examples of generative AI being like used for different applications, such as the chat interface, of course. But what are some of the more crazier, the more craziest examples that you've been seeing lately of this being used? Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on now. And I think we need to also, before we start talking about all the exciting use cases and things it is used for now, we need to think about what is actually GPT-4 and ChatGPT and, and all of this stuff. What is it really? And it's really just a reasoning engine. So you put this reasoning engine on top of a bunch of data and then you make a reason about it like a human would reason about it. So without the data, it's not really that much value. So it's not a search engine. That's one misconception that a lot of people have. They think ChatGPT is just a new search engine that can replace Google. Now with the emergence of uh, GPT plugins and and so on, you can also use it to browse the internet and use it in conjunction with a search engine, but it's not a search engine in itself. So a lot of companies now, they are building these kind of shallow uh, products on top of ChatGPT where they are basically engineering some prompts and uh, then they are building a business on top of it. But they are not using their own data. They're just essentially building on top of APIs and data that is already available and probably belongs to someone else. Criminals already use new AI technology. 
such as ChatGPT. If they use the technology, we must also step up our game. The Strice KYC intelligence system now combines proprietary AI technology with GPT-4 to help you fight financial crime even more effectively. Contact our sales team to find out more. So yeah, there is a lot of exciting use cases where you can make, uh, you can order plane tickets, you can search the internet, you can make it draw a picture or essentially whatever through mid-journey and those kind of models. But at the end of the day, you need the data. And I think a lot of companies that build features on top of this now, they're going to have a bit of a hit in the face when they realize that, okay, maybe uh, you need to build your own data model below all of this technology before you can actually utilize this reasoning engine. And then suddenly you, you don't really have a product anymore because you have, you're, you're missing the underlier, underlying um, uh, data foundation. That's uh, interesting. It gives me some new perspective too that I haven't thought about. But let's zoom in to uh, generative AI within banking, finance, and of course, KYC AML. So if you work in KYC AML now, and or if you are a bank and you want to kind of start using this technology, what are some of the challenges that you see uh, in adopting it? Yeah. So, so back again, what are the biggest challenges for people working in KYC today is the overwhelming magnitude of data. It's just so much data, so many signals. There's a billion companies, there's a billion events that is happening and related and people and ownerships and, you know, the, you know, the deal, right? There's so much data. So I think one of the biggest challenges that this kind of GPT technology can help us resolve is to make sense of everything that you essentially know from before, you have the data, it's already there, but you don't really have the tools to extract the value and the kind of signals that you want to, that you care about. So given you have a portfolio, I don't know, 10,000 companies and there's 10,000 things happening with all of these 10,000 companies and it's just overwhelming. But all you want to need, all you want to know is what do I need to care about today? What are the risky signals and where should I pay my attention? And, and I think that will be the huge productivity boost that we will see in especially KYC, which is just a data-heavy space, that you will spend a lot less time shifting through mountains of data and a lot more time actually digging into the things that you really need to dig into with a human. And uh, that is something I guess everyone wants to, because like our ultimate goal here is to prevent financial crime and not just do... like. Uh, you know, having an ultimate goal. But do you see any challenges in terms of like regulation, data privacy, information securities? Like these are topics that come up so much when we interact with banks and getting new clients on board. Like, how do you see that? Oh, yeah. Where do we begin? So <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is obviously a huge, uh, well, complicating factor, uh, so to speak. Today, all the large language models, if you're going to use the APIs from Google and OpenAI and so on and so forth, they are hosted in the US. The US, they don't really care about GDPR. In Europe, we really care about the GDPR. That means that if you send like uh, a name <laughs> or there, there's so much that is like technically personal, personally identifiable information that people are just sending, sending across the globe now and it's getting stored on US servers and you don't really have much of a clue about it. Uh, luckily, there is regulation now coming in the EU with the AI Act, which will enforce that you need to use AI responsibly. 
So you can't just use AI as a black box uh, magic uh, thingy where you can just put all your data in and get some magnificent uh, knowledge out. You need to really make sure that you can, you know what data are you putting in and you know how the decisions of the AI are actually made. So there will be a lot of requirements in relation to explainability and and also like lifting up what, what is what is actually happening here. So I think, again, back to the, the shallow uh, uh, applications of this technology today. Yeah, I, I see a lot of things going wrong for a lot of <laughs> applications, to be honest, because not having thought about this and thought this through and how you're going to use this, especially within banking and KYC and these kind of sensitive spaces, it, I, I think you, you can't just use it for everything. You need to really be mindful of how you apply this because you're... If you're using some black box AI to make decisions about whether or not people get a bank account, whether or not they get a loan, whether or not they get rejected from some kind of process that is very fundamental and, and, and has, a, has a big impact on their life, then, then you need to be able to at least explain why you made that decision. And uh, the more black box AI becomes, the harder it will, make it, it will be to the reason about those decisions. What kind of uh, measures can banks and financial institutions do to ensure transparency around it is it just like you need to then procure solutions from suppliers who are committed to gdpr and responsible ai act and so forth is like do you see that as the the path forward yeah yeah that's part of it of course you need to make sure your suppliers have have their uh, their stuff together but also need you also need to think about how you apply this again i think a lot of the value will be to reason about the data that you already have access to and for instance, if you if you already have a good a good risk perspective of how you, what your portfolio looks like, you know the risk signals, you know the, the owners and so on. Um, if you already have that, and then you can get uh, you can use the reasoning engine part of this technology, then you're essentially not introducing any new announce. You're just reasoning about mm. what you already know, and you can also then show show that background information when you're giving your output and when you're making these decisions mm. um, so <laughs> there's so many there's so many wrong applications that that you can that you can use this information for so going into more like one of the topics that you know usually we talk about in the financial crime prevention space is this cat and mouse game with the criminals like who is uh, at all times one step ahead and we need to catch up and you know the criminals they're always taking advantage of a good crisis and using new technology to do bad stuff so what, and I mean, fraud is like an uh, all-time high and now criminals have a new tool, ChatGPT, to actually do crime maybe more at scale. What do you, how do you see that? Like, where are some of the areas where you think GPT can be used for, yeah. for bad stuff? Yeah, so the thing is that this is not a new tool. The, like I said, we have been using this since 2018 with GPT-2 and the, the underlying research uh, for the generative AI uh, technology that's been available for a long time. It was pioneered by Google and then now used by OpenAI to make it accessible to everyone through this fancy interface that everyone can use. But the thing is that criminals have been using this for a long time. And I think we are, it is a bit of a mouse, cat and mouse game now because we need to catch up. And uh, obviously it's been, there's been more of it now. And But I think also the the more, 
what am I going to say, the conservative industries like maybe banking, which have been kind of slow to adopt new cloud technology and, f- and for good reasons, right? Uh, there's a lot of questions about privacy and security. It's a bit harder to solve and so on. But I think the AI train now, it is leaving the station regardless of whether or not you think it's a good thing and uh, whether or not you want to uh, uh, shut it down or whatever. This is just this is gonna happen regardless. Yeah, so, so they need to get on need to get on board. Yeah, you, you need to get on board, and I think regulation is gonna be important. Uh, so again, so we use it in a in a in a mindful way, and we don't make decisions about people's lives without really knowing what we're doing and so on. But again, I think it's it's very important for also the more conservative industries to be curious and and try to to force themselves into adopting this new technology because. It is when used in the right way, you can just get so much more done. Uh, it's such a huge productivity boost. It's kind of like when, when you got tractors and everyone was using horses. Like, okay, it was uh, you have invested a lot in horses. They have a whole bunch of them, and then the neighbor got a tractor, and maybe you didn't like that. But at the end of the day, you, you probably had to to get rid of those horses and use a tractor because it's just so much more productive. Yeah, and I remember one example you also showed here internally at Strice was uh, some news uh, articles from when the calculator (laughs) was introduced and some math teachers were going on a strike because they didn't like that. But now we're looking back and was like, that didn't make any sense at all. Of course you were going to use calculators. Exactly. And uh, there's no math teachers today that that are waking up and like, oh shit, that damn calculator is ruining my, my day. (laughs) <laughs> They're using it as a tool because they adopted it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so if you were uh, working in KYC, AML, first line, second line, like in a bank or uh, right now, and you have ac- absolutely no clue what we're talking about, generative AI, like what is that? Or if you have started maybe trying ChatGPT once or twice, like what are some top tips you would give to them either like specifically or maybe some other places like newsletters whatever they can sign up to get more information like what where would what do you say to those guys yeah so i think the first thing is to just familiarize yourselves with it because there's a lot of fuss now about chat gpt and this technology and well everyone is everyone agrees that it's it's huge and it's amazing what it can do but i think everyone also needs to spend some time playing with it because in, in one way, you need to kind of rewire your brain. Like I'm coming from the technology side, and we've been using something called GitHub Copilot for quite a while now. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty huge thing for, for takers as well. Certainly, you don't need to write all the code that you use to write, but it's more about being able to imagine and, and, and think about the, the problems that you're solving at kind of a higher abstraction level. So... One simple use case that kind of blew my mind the first time I did it was I needed to make a sequence diagram, like simple stuff. And I was struggling. I was using this online tool. We had this kind of convoluted syntax, and I didn't really get get it all to work. And when I got it all to work, I kind of forgot what I was going to model. And then I ended up just opening a text editor and just dumping my, my kind of mind into there. I, I, I knew all the steps I wanted to kind of showcase in this diagram. And uh, I didn't. I just uh, went over that a couple times. Took me like a couple minutes, and then I just asked GPT to to make the diagram for me. 
and uh, lo and behold, out came the diagram, and I was I was literally mind blown. This was pretty early in in the process, uh, or uh, not the process, but it, 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 this was a while ago. But this was one of the first moments where I really felt that okay, we need to kind of rethink how we're thinking about this, the way we're solving problems now, because we're spending so much time in, in getting all the details of what we're doing right, like syntax in the document or what the specific syntax of code works and uh, is and, and so on and so forth. And I think we need to just jump up a level and think more about the problems that we're solving. I saw some other, some meme, I think it was shared, you shared it as well. Some, because when you write code, a lot of the work is like, or it used to be like Googling, figuring out how other people have solved this before. And then I saw some meme that well, like people who were against ChatGPT. And then it was sort of, but don't you don't you look at other people's examples <laughs> before? And it's a kind of the same now, but just like a different way. You get feedback in like you, it searches the internet and shows yeah. you examples. So yeah, yeah. Uh, this go back to uh, ChatGPT and that technology just being a reasoning engine on top of data. And one other kind of base factor is that all ChatGPT does is that is predicting words. And it is predicting words based on what it has seen before. So it will it will combine concepts and content that it has seen before that it has seen before in new ways and maybe construct something that nobody has seen combined in that way. But it will not come up with facts it has never seen. Even we are colleagues and we work together, but this conversation made me also like reflect and think about GPT in uh, in a new way. It's uh, when these new technologies are introduced, it's hard to just grasp it like at first. So you need to kind of hear inputs on different levels and then slowly start to to think about it differently. Because I've been using a lot the chat GPT, asking questions, help me to do research for the laundry, come up with questions and help with that. So, uh, But it's interesting to hear about these that it's been applied in writing code and building new products and all these uh, and all these things. So um, uh, I see our time is running out. This uh, we need to head on to our next uh, to our next endeavors for the day. But to all of our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this uh, little deep dive on uh, ChatGPT. And if you liked it, please uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, give me feedback, and we can do more episodes on this. So. Thank you so much for joining, Patrick. It was good to have you on. Yeah, it was good to finally be on. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week, everyone. Bye.